Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. What is up, podcast fam? Happy Monday. I hope you all had an amazing weekend and are getting ready for another incredible week. I am so excited to be releasing this episode today with Rebecca Sofer from Modern Loss. Rebecca is the CEO and co-founder of Modern Loss. Modern Loss is a place to share the unspeakably taboo, unbelievably hilarious, and unexpectedly beautiful terrain of navigating your life after a death. As they say, beginners welcome. Modern Loss is an incredible platform with tons of content, resources, really in in how to navigate the craziness of loss. Rebecca lost both her parents young and has went on to co-found and create this incredible platform. Her work's been featured in so many places from Fox Tablet, Tablet Magazine's podcast, CBS Sunday Morning, and so much more. She's spoken at Chicago Ideas Week, HBO, Experience Camps, the nonprofit where I volunteer, and has put on keynoted events in grief and has even put on live storytelling events via the Modern Loss platform. This episode was an incredible one, very memorable for me. We really spoke about loss, life, and navigating life after loss. And for me, I, I really resonated with one thing that Rebecca touched on early in the show how she had this grand plan for life, but life had another plan for her. And really how in her own journey of grief and navigating life after loss, what she once thought would be her destiny and her journey in terms of her professional pursuit became completely different after life threw her a curveball. And I think for many of us, that is the case. Many people go into life with a grand plan, but life throws curveballs and you you just need to roll with it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's funny, you you look so familiar from obviously like I'm I'm a big fan of what you're building, all your work, etc. But so you spoke at experience camps twenty seventeen. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Were you over there? I've been involved with experience camps. I think this would have been my seventh summer. Oh I got involved after my dad passed mm-hmm. and you know Wiley Sorelli. He's like one of the people who are on the board. I don't oh, know. Yeah. Who's uh-huh. yeah. So I met him through, I went to Syracuse. He came to Syracuse to speak. My dad ended up passing away. Several months later, I kept in touch with him. And when he died, I guess the school had reached out to him to see if there was any way that he could help me. He was like, you got to come to camp. So then from there, I got I got involved with camp. And I'm pretty sure this would have been my seventh summer. Well, hopefully it won't be the last. I have, I have high hopes, hopefully. I do that next summer, I pray, will be, will look a little different, right? We have no choice. Yeah, absolutely. So with that, I'd love to sort of hand the mic off to you and and share a little bit about your story. Well, my name is Rebecca Sofer, and I had very specific plans 
in my late 20s for what I thought my life was going to look like, at least, you know, <laughs> over the next couple of years. And the universe had different plans in store for me. So I had just graduated Columbia Journalism School with my master's in journalism. And from there, I went to work for the Colbert Report for Stephen Colbert, which had just gone on the air. And Stephen's kind of my hero. And I was so thrilled and I was so excited to embark upon this new career and build up my life in New York City and build up everything else that you really want to build when you're in your late 20s. And after a year of working at the show, we went to the Emmys all together, the whole um, cast and crew. And when we came back, I went on a camping trip with my parents. They picked me up at the airport and we went to upstate New York to the Adirondacks. We go camping there every single year in the middle of Lake George on all these beautiful islands. And it was this wonderful time to catch up with them. I'm an only child to them. So it was just this really special kind of annual tradition that we had. And on the way home from that trip, my life changed very suddenly and very much forever. My parents dropped me off at my apartment in New York City late one night. It was um, Labor Day in 2006. Then they continued on to Philadelphia, which is where I grew up. And I had to go back to work the next day. And I was just sitting around in my camping clothes, you know, thinking about showering, thinking about all the things that I had to do going back to the studio. And I got a phone call and I heard my dad screaming in the background. And I was told that there had been a terrible accident on the New Jersey Turnpike and that my mom was not okay. And I really needed to get to a hospital in Princeton, New Jersey, straight away. And, you know, I don't know if you can even envision being <laughs> a single person in Manhattan living on the Upper West Side. And it's late in the night on Labor Day, of all things, and you're being told to get to a hospital in New Jersey right away. I didn't have a car. I didn't have any mode of transportation. Mm. Luckily, I had and still have a best friend who has always been crazy enough to own a car in Manhattan. And she and her <laughs> husband drove to pick me up and we just sped down the turnpike and reached the hospital. We did pass the scene of the accident on the way. It was just so surreal and terrible. And when I got to the hospital, I found my dad and he was in a hospital bed and he was fine. He was banged up, but he was fine. And the first thing he said to me was, I'm so sorry, Rebecca, she's gone. So she had been killed immediately. At, at least that's what I like to think. There had been something on the road that they had to swerve to miss and the car flipped over. And that was kind of my entry point into the world of after, which I feel like so many people who deal with extreme adversity, not just with death loss, but with any roadblocks in life, you know, they can measure time in the before and in the after. And my before was this, you know, glorious life that had not been really affected by profound, deep loss. But all of a sudden, I was in the after. And I had no living mother. And I was still 30 and still held to build up my life and still wanted to make friends and colleagues and get promoted and get a house and, you know, partner up and do all these things. And I suddenly had to navigate all of that building along with all of the losing. And it was extremely challenging and extremely lonely. 
particularly because of my age. You know, I just wasn't surrounded by that many people who could identify with me. And I had lots of great friends and lots of great colleagues, and I had to laugh for a living. But um, it was still lonely, you know, and talking about grief is not a thing that people like doing. They think it's contagious or they think that it's, it has to automatically be a bummer, that it can't just be like sharing stories or being factual or asking for advice or just venting for the sake of saying something and just needing somewhere to put, you know, what, what you need to say. And it was really challenging. I had to support myself at work. I had to figure out like what I needed with regards to my own boundaries. Like, you know, did I need to leave for a grief counselor once a week? Did I need to take some time off? There weren't a lot of structures in place to catch me. And I felt like it was very much on my shoulders to like figure it out for myself. And that was really overwhelming for a single 30-year-old woman. Did you go right back to work? You know, I kind of did because I didn't know what to do with myself. Most companies don't have bereavement policies in this country. And if they do, it's for if you lose a parent or, you know, a, a partner. And I did lose a parent. But I also worked in kind of a Wild West type of industry. I was in TV. And that's very much like subjective. I worked for a production company. And I worked for a television show that taped every single night. So it's not like there were a lot of policies in place where you could just disappear for a couple of weeks at a time and come back and someone would have been supporting you the whole time. We just we didn't have a huge staff. So I was told, listen, take the time you need. I, I mean, people really wanted to support me for sure. But two weeks of time is a really long time to be away from mm. work. And I felt a little pressure to come back. And I also put the pressure on myself. And I think the pressure on myself came from not having a structure that said, listen, if you lose somebody, you have a right to take these two weeks. Like you should take them no matter what. So mm. I felt like it was really on me to decide when I should go back. And I went back within about two weeks time. And I think on the one hand, it was good for me to do that because I was really in a lot of shock. My mom died very suddenly. I didn't really know what to do with myself. Otherwise, I probably would have been sitting around in my apartment or back in Philadelphia with my dad and not really knowing what to do with myself. But at the same time, going back to work was challenging because I worked in comedy. <laughs> and uh -huh. while that was a saving grace a lot of the time, <laughs> you know, there were also a lot of times where I was looking around me and wondering how everybody could find anything funny. Mm. How dare they? Don't they know my mom is dead? And that I'm dying inside? And that this is so hard? So I think it just had, you know, the excruciating aspect of it kind of had to do with, in some ways, the nature of my work. But like I said, in other ways, it was a saving grace. I think what would have been really helpful would have been a conversation at the onset with somebody that said, you know, this is going to be a crazy wild ride. And I want you to be able to come to me if you ever feel like you need some flexibility or like, just talk to me as you go down this road and let me know what you need and we'll see what we can do. But that conversation wasn't had only because... It's just not something that companies are used to doing in this country, not because they're cruel people. And in, in fact, I was wonderfully supported when I started speaking up for my needs. But yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, going back to work after a sudden loss, after an expected loss is very challenging. And I think that it's, it's particularly challenging when you're a younger person 
and you're not surrounded by a lot of people who can really relate to what you're going through. Yeah. So, you know, that's how I lost my mom. And then a few years down the line, it was just about four years later, my dad had a heart attack while he was traveling and he didn't survive. So by the time I hit 34, I had no living parents. And that was not my life plan, as I said. You know, <laughs> I had <laughs> at least a five year plan. And I, I didn't really meet a lot of my, uh, you know, the, the, the hope for milestones. But, you know, it was just kind of my, my education in the fact that you really can't plan for much or you can, but like, you know, <laughs> yeah, it happens and you have to roll with it and you have to learn from it. Even if you're not learning from it immediately for at least my own sanity and my own ability to live a rich life, which I really wanted to live, you know, in spite of having lost both parents by age 34, that's still so young. And I wanted to have a really wonderful life in spite of that, you know, and it took me a long time to figure out how to. So I think that's a normal thing. Absolutely. You had mentioned just now, like your desire, your aspiration to live a rich life. So that can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. I'm just curious, what does that mean to you? To me, you know, I was kind of open, you know, I'm like a, I'm like an omnivore, you know, I'm a passionate generalist. <laughs> I wanted to live a life that was full of traveling, that was full of adventure, that was full of trying new things. I'm the kind of person who gets really excited going to a new place, even if it sounds like a really boring place. And I won't name any boring places in case, you know, sounding places in, <laughs> in case you have any listeners from there. But you could tell me that I was going anywhere and I'd be like, oh, that sounds so cool. I wonder what it's like. And I think it's inherent in being a journalist and being naturally curious and wanting to know people's stories because you just never know what you can learn from one conversation or reading about the history of one place. So I wanted to travel. You know, I wanted to find a partner. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to do so many, you know, like I wanted to have a, a career that had meaningful work. For me, that was very important. I wanted to make meaning from my work. And my parents always told me whenever I was going through this existential career angst in my early 20s, they would always say, listen, what you do is not necessarily who you are. And they would say that because, of course, not everybody can be doing a job that has profound <laughs> meaning. You know, the world needs accountants and the world, needs, yeah. you know, tax lawyers. And these, these jobs have great meaning and they have great use and they're really good careers. But I was looking for something that really would fulfill me in my work because it kind of became clear to me that you spent a lot of time doing it. I wanted to put all my passion into something that I felt would create a lot of meaning. And so I really wanted that too out of life. And I did mm. not know how I was going to find that when my mom died and then when my dad died. And, you know, when my mom died, I was in my dream job. I was working for Stephen Colbert, of course. I mean, amazing dream job. <laughs> but it became evident eventually that I just didn't want to work in daily television because as much as I wanted to have a career that was full of meaning, I also wanted to have a life. And mm -hmm. that's where what my parents said to me really clicked, which is, you know, what you do is not who you are. It's not all of who you are. And it's true. So I wanted to have a meaningful career but I really wanted to have a life too. And yeah. I realized that I wasn't willing to give up my life for just work, no matter how meaningful it was. And so 
yeah, I mean, it, it took a long time for me to get there, but eventually. It is funny because even outside of grief, I feel a lot of younger people, obviously not everyone has such a concrete plan, but a lot of people do think they have this five-year, 10-year, 15-year, 25-year plan, and they're like, this is going to be my life. And life throws a lot of curveballs. And not only that, but as you personally grow and evolve and try things and actually dive deep into a career path, you might find that, hey, this isn't all it's meant out to be, or maybe like in your experience, I also want to have a life. I also want to travel the world. I have other desires, dreams, etc. A little bit about my own personal journey outside of, of grief. I've been very entrepreneurial in my whole life. My first business, I started at 14. And I really do enjoy business. I like the challenge of business. But you know, I really always had this plan in my mind, like this is going to be the life that I go and build. And just as I continue to, I'm 26 now, but as I continue to get older and live through more life and just in my own experience from losing both my parents, it's like, oh, this work is just a small part of my life. There's so much to life than just career. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. And that's what I was saying. I, one of the reasons that I ended up leaving my, what I thought was my dream career in television was because of that realization that I wanted more. I wanted a more well-rounded life. And sometimes that's very scary because you're on this track, right? You're on this professional track and you're told like you should have your skill set and you should develop your expertise and you shouldn't really deviate too much because why would you? You should be successful in what you do. And that's what your parents want for you and your teachers and everything. But sometimes, you know, true fulfillment is only going to come when you take a leap of faith. And sometimes that can, you know, propel you into a failed experience or a failed experiment. And sometimes it can propel you into multiple failed experiments. But eventually, it can pave the way for a very successful leap and a very successful move that fulfills you way beyond where you were initially. And I, for one, you know, being so incredibly intimately acquainted with profound loss, I'm very aware that we have limited time. And I'm really aware that we don't have anything guaranteed to us in terms of numbers of years or the health that we have. And I think all of us are realizing that now. And so I just feel like, why waste time? You know, just go for it. Mm, I love that. So how does modern loss come about? So Modern loss came about because of all of this. I mean, it's very safe to say that there's absolutely no way I would have ever done something <laughs> like this had I not gone through my own personal losses. I mean, it just was not on my mind at all in the least. There are a lot of people who want to be grief counselors or work with, you know, in bereavement centers or do palliative care, and they do amazing work. And I am not one of those people. I wanted to work in political satire. I wanted to produce thoughtful pieces. I wanted to make people laugh. I wanted to create community. I wanted to build bridges where people could kind of like find common denominators to identify one another with one another in a way that was kind of entertaining and really useful and smart. And ironically, that is what I ended up doing with Modern Lust, but I wasn't aware that that's what it was going to be. So years after my mom died, you know, I had the idea for Modern Lust very shortly after she died because, you know, it really came about from feeling so lonely, feeling so isolated, feeling like I was one of the only people I knew in my friend group and in my, you know, my cohort, my colleague, my group of colleagues who really understood what I was going through and realizing that I just didn't want to talk to a therapist, 
you know, or have clinical conversations about grief. I wanted to just have conversations about grief and about loss. And I wanted to laugh about it. And I wanted to commiserate about it. And I also wanted some examples of resilience of people who had been faced with extreme adversity and were moving through it and not in a way that was cheesy or, you know, like suggested that after a year, everything is okay or that time heals all wounds because it doesn't. I just wanted to see examples of resilience of people who had been dealt a certain hand and were still living a quality life, not just in spite of it, but kind of because of it. Mm. And I wasn't having any ease finding outlets that had that kind of stuff. You know, I, I found I'm a storyteller. I'm a writer. I appreciate comedy. I just found a lot of websites that were full of platitudes or were a little too religious for my taste or too clinical. And I just wanted a storytelling platform. And I realized that, you know, I would read the back of the New York Times magazine and there would be this great essay about the connection between loss you know, and sense of smell and taste. And I was like, yes, that's so me. Like I was in the grocery store the other day and I reached for the bottle of syrup and all of a sudden I was back with my mom in the kitchen and, you know, I was triggered and I was sobbing my face off in aisle four and it was mortifying. And I just wanted more stories of that to make me feel like I wasn't going crazy and I wasn't so alone. And so that's what Modern Loss came out of, which was just this need to fill this white space that existed around this conversation about grief. And so we launched it with my co-founder, Gabby Berkner, in the, at the end of 2013. And it started as a website, an online publication. And we run personal essays, like short pieces that are very well done. You know, we have a pitch platform and we don't take most of our the pitches that we receive just because we're such a small entity and we want to keep it really high quality. And so we run personal essays around every aspect of the grief experience. And when I talk about grief in this sense, I'm talking about grief from death loss because there's a lot of grief in the world. But we focus on this because this is a very universal one and people don't think they need it until they need something like this. Mm -hmm. We keep it niche because we know that we're never gonna run out of content because there are endless permutations and combinations to people's experiences. We know that loss touches everything. It touches your identity, your career choices, who you might want to spend your life with. It touches, you know, your anxiety level or the risks that you're willing to take and your sex life and your finances. And so there's just no end to the opportunity for storytelling around this stuff. And it can be really inspiring too, because it pushes us to take risks and, you know, do things that we would never do otherwise. So we have personal essays, we have advice columns, we have lots of specialized pieces that are resource pieces by therapists and by lawyers, et cetera. It's essentially like the dream <laughs> website that I wish would have existed when mm. my mom died and when my dad died. But we purposely make it something that is accessible at any stage of your loss, because even 10 years or 15 years after you lose someone, you're still going to be living with loss. When you become a parent 12 years after your mom died, you're going to experience your loss in a different way all of a sudden, and you're going to need a community, and you're going to need to read some pieces and feel pulled in and feel seen by somebody. And so we have this website, you know, we have a book out in the world. We do a lot of live storytelling shows with comedians. I mean, a lot of what we do is just like, it's really tongue in cheek. We use a lot of dark humor because you got to laugh. <laughs> you, yeah. You have no choice sometimes. If it's laughter or, or, you know, insanity, I choose laughter every time. 
<laughs> I like that. Grief's a funny thing. I mean, you sort of mentioned it before and alluded to it in some ways, but people who who have not experienced significant loss, and not everyone, I don't mean to bucket everyone, but I mean, it's becoming, I feel, less taboo because of platforms like your own, but it's something that so many people are so uncomfortable speaking about, speaking on. It's like even, you know, laughter and grief, some people would think, oh, you, those can never go hand in hand. Oh, they can go hand in hand. I get asked all the time, you know, when is it appropriate to laugh? And I'm like, whenever the hell you want to. I mean, yeah. come on. Like, whenever. <laughs> who's grieving. So whenever it's appropriate to you to laugh, you laugh. I mean, I laughed so many times, even before my mom's funeral, because the whole experience of grief and loss is so ludicrous. Yeah. Messy. And so, you know, it's like, what, what do we laugh at when we're thinking about like anything? We're laughing at the mess of things. We're laughing at like the ludicrous moments that are so relatable. <laughs> and, yeah. so, you know, so I, I always say like, you know, I think there are some people who think, for example, when our book came out, we had a full page excerpt of our book in the New York Times. And it was an illustration of a lexicon of grief terms that are not clinical by any stretch of the imagination, but we just made up because they're so relatable. And overwhelmingly, the comments, they always say, don't read the comments, but I read the comments. And on the New York Times.com, they turned off comments after like 250 comments. And maybe 237 of them were like, oh, this is so me. Like, I feel so seen, you know, thank you. Yeah. And 13 of them were, who do these people think they are? They are so disrespectful. They are making fun of our loss. They're making fun of our grief. They're so glib. And I was like, you know, that's fine. Like you do you and I'm going to do, yeah. <laughs> you know, because I'm not making fun of anybody's grief, but I am saying that, you know, there is such a thing as sad booking <laughs> when, you know, you get a little jealous of people who are posting pictures of their happy living people and you don't <laughs> have that person. And there is such a thing as, you know, a wake mare, which is when you dream about that person and you wake up and the nightmare is really in the moment of consciousness. You realize. I like that. I feel like that that one happens all the time with me. All I, the time. I have dreams all the time where like both my parents are alive or a parent is alive. And then I wake up and I'm like, ah, shit. Yeah. It's not, it's like <laughs> one of my least favorite moments of the experience. And I don't have those too many anymore, but I had them so frequently in the first couple of years after my parents died. And such a mind fuck, you know, <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah. As I was saying, I really set out to have a career that was really meaningful and brought people together and created community. And it's just kind of ironic because with Modern Loss, that is what I ended up doing. Yeah. I'm thinking about that the whole time. Like you went from this dream or desire to, you know, build this community and look at the platform you've created and the community that you're building. I really applaud you for everything that you've built and the platform and the many, many people who I'm sure find hope and support and so much more from from all the content that you're putting out in the world. I mean, I hope so. It's all I can hope for, you know, and I barely write for the website. So it's really like I run it and we have all we're on all social media. We have a Patreon campaign, which is we don't charge for any of our content. And so we ask people to consider supporting us through Patreon for a couple dollars a month. And we have all of these extras that we do, which I love, which I really started doing when the pandemic grew, 
we do all these virtual sessions every month with experts, with writers, with you know artists. We even had a baking class once. Um, we do virtual sessions for the modern loss community because I just realized, like you know, it's wonderful to be on the receiving end of reading a piece and on the giving end of being able to write a piece for people. But we're constantly trying to create more and more connection points for our community. And they can opt in and opt out. And that's the best part because you know what grief is like. Sometimes you really want to engage and sometimes you really don't. And we say, that's cool. Like you want to pick up our book and throw it across the room for a month after reading 10 pages and then pick it up again. That's fine. That's what we would expect. You know, you want to be in our our Facebook group, our closed group and not say a word, but you still want to feel like you're part of a community. That's cool. Just be a member, you know, and learn from all these other viewpoints and experiences and suggestions that people are posting on there. And with these virtual sessions, you know, these Zoom sessions, they've been so amazing to me to see real life people, even though they're on the screen, you know, coming together and forming this brief hour long community. It's just amazing because I think that we all are looking for constant invitations to engage around this stuff. Not all of us, you know, want to go seek it out or have the energy or have the time. So what Modern Loss tries to do is constantly offer the invitation, even if it's turned down. Because mm-hmm. I didn't, like when, when your mom died or when your dad died, I'm sure that people said, can I take you out for lunch? And sometimes you were like, yeah, no, I'm no thanks. <laughs> yeah. You never wanted to go to lunch ever again, right? Yeah. You just meant that you weren't feeling it that day. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome to hear with the virtual events that you guys are putting on, you know, to further engage and build community. I'm curious, just going back to your professional journey a little bit. I love the dynamic between initially thinking that really having this dream and pursuing exactly what you are pursuing, and then having this complete shift to doing, I imagine what is the most meaningful work in your life at this point. Was it hard to make that transition or were you like, this is what I'm going to go and do and I'm going to give it a shot? You know, I would say that it was hard, but it wasn't hard, mostly because I was probably kind of stupid about it. It's not like I came up with a whole business plan of how a website could work, a content site and how I could live off of it. You know, we didn't really go about it in the smartest way. Mm. Thank goodness it kind of worked out a bit, but you know, I wouldn't necessarily recommend to people, Hey, you know, what you should do is quit your day job and start your passion project and, you know, not have any income whatsoever. I did leave a job, but I also knew that by the time that I started working on modern loss with Gabby, this project was coming out. It was seeping out of me and it had been, I've been containing it for years and years and years. And the only reason that I hadn't worked on it to that point is because I didn't want it to be about me. I wanted it to be a community and a publication, but I didn't want it to be the Rebecca blog. I didn't want to write for it that much. So I wanted Mm. to wait until I felt like I could really do it from a professional standpoint as a writer and a producer and a publisher and an editor. And that's why I did it when I did it. So it's not like, you know, I'd never created a publication before. I'd never launched a site. We had kind of no idea what we were doing, except for we knew how to create really good, meaningful content. And we knew what our tone was. We knew who we were. We knew we were unapologetic. We knew that we were unabashed. We knew that we could have some dark humor. We were fine with using obscenities whenever they were necessary. you know. And we knew that our audience was probably going to skew younger. Beyond that, we didn't know who was out there and how they'd take the content. (laughs) And thankfully, it took off very quickly. You know, we've been online for an hour 
And we got an email from a reporter at Slate magazine. And they, she was like, I'm writing a piece on you. And we were like, <laughs> we just like literally figured out how to put a website online. So how do you even know it exists? But the thing is, is that Gabby is a journalist. She's a seasoned editor and journalist. And so our circles are media circles. And so once we had announced on Facebook that this is what we had done, word got around very quickly. And so we got a lot of attention for that. And we have been very lucky to get a lot of, you know, natural, organic media attention because of not just what we do, but how we do it. And so I would really encourage anybody to take a leap and take a risk. Um, I wouldn't necessarily encourage them to do it without a plan. But (laughs) I would say that if you have something that you are so passionate about doing, then you will be willing to put the time into it in the evening, on weekends, to just see what it could be. Mm. And it's worth it because you really never know. Like we, I can't even tell you how many people looked at me and Gabby sideways when we would tell them what we were working on and what we wanted to launch. They would say, God, that sounds so, so so morose, so depressing, (laughs) a site about grief. And we were like, okay, like kind of, maybe it sounds depressing. Yeah. I mean, like we don't like thinking about death all the time, but the thing is between the two of us, we've lost four parents. So we have to think about it all the time. It just is who we are. It's Mm. part of our story. Yeah. And so we had a lot of naysayers. We had a lot of people saying like, how are you going to make any money off of that? And it's interesting because that wasn't our motivation. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that the secret sauce always is, and there's no way that I'm saying anything that original here. You really have to believe in your mission and in your story and what you're doing and in your goal. You really have to believe in it. And believe that it really should be out into the world because that's going to propel you through a lot of roadblocks, a lot of naysayers, a lot of people who don't get what you're doing. You know, you just have to keep going. You know, I mean, we wanted to write a book. We wrote a book. You know, I um, really wanted to do this journal. I, I don't know if you saw, but just a couple of days ago, I announced that I'm, I'm writing another book for Modern Loss. And I pitched it during the height of the pandemic and during the height of the protests. And everybody said, if you manage to sell this, it'll be a miracle. And now I get to do it. I get the honor of doing it. And I just think it's because I've always drunk the Kool-Aid for this stuff, because I really believe in the value of meaningful community around loss the long arc of loss around grief, around resilience and post-traumatic growth. I really believe that we can pull each other through this mess together in a much more effective way than pulling ourselves through it on our own. Mm. So post-traumatic growth and resilience, personally, just from my own experience, I feel obviously I've suffered through two of the greatest significant losses I could have at this point in my life. But I'd be lying to you if I wouldn't admit fullheartedly that I feel I've gained so much as a result of the loss. And I guess I'm curious what your thoughts are just around the weird dynamic between like, you know, on one hand, you have significant loss. On the other hand, there are things that you gain as a result in terms of your perspective, the way you see the world. I'm just curious. I'd love to have a little bit of a conversation around that and hear your thoughts around that. Yeah, that's a great question. Look, I would give anything to not have gone through what I went through. I would love for my mom to be around and my dad to be around, to meet my kids, to be grandparents to my kids, to meet my husband, to, you know, 
help me with them to, you know, I, I would love for that to be the case, but it's not. And I think it took me a long time to kind of get to the point where I could be like, it is what it is. You know, I spent a really long time wishing that things were different or, you know, saying, well, if only, you know, and, and that's like a dangerous game because you never win <laughs> because <laughs> I, I don't know anybody who's been able to turn back the clock ever. And so why should I be the first person, you know? And so eventually I kind of got to the point where I, I could really mentally and psychologically say, you know, it is what it is. They're not here. I wish they were here, but they're not. And so I'm going to make the very best life that I possibly can for myself because I think that's what they, well, no, I know that's what they want for me. They'd be so pissed if I didn't, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so I do think I've gained a lot. I've gained some of my best friends in the world from it. I've had people come out of the woodwork in the early days of my loss who were friends of friends of friends who I just met randomly who were just naturally empathic and willing to have good conversations or who had had loss in their own lives and recognized when somebody else really needed to connect. And some of these people are some of my very best friends to this day. And I made them in adulthood and I made them because of my dead parents, you know? And so it's like, would I change any of that either? No, because it's yeah. making my life rich. And it's this weird, you know, it sounds so weird when you say it, because that means that then, okay, I'd want my parents to have died. But it doesn't even matter because like the mind is a wily thing and we play these games and it all just is what it is. And so I think you just have no choice but to kind of be here in the now and say, you know, it sucks what happened and it's always going to hurt in some way. And also so much has come out of it that's really rich. And I'm really lucky because of that. And I'm going to focus on that. And so for me, it's, it's the friends I've made. It's the risks that I've been willing to take because of my realization that everything is just so fleeting, you know? And just mm -hmm. sometimes saying, what, is it going to kill me? You know, okay, great. If it's not going to kill me, let's try it. You know, like, I don't care. It's been in this community that I've helped to create and grow and all the incredible people I've met because of it and the friendships I've formed and the inspiration I've gotten, not just, you know, from talking about loss, but talking about everything. You know, I've been able to, I've produced multiple live shows for Modern Loss and we do these storytelling events that are full of comedians, like really well-known people. And I'm working with these incredible names. And I never would have been able to do that had I not gone through what I went through because I would yeah. have chosen to do it. And so I've had so much richness and so much wonderful professional and personal challenges that have forced me to grow. And, you know, I wouldn't change any bit of it really. And mm. so when I think about, you know, I never really thought about the term post-traumatic growth until a few years ago when I spoke with somebody who was, you know, really focused on that. That was her research. And I was like, yeah, that's it. Like, that's what it's about. You know, it's not just about, you know, the, the kind of like dealing with this new landscape and trying to figure out how to survive in it. It's trying to figure out how to thrive in it. Mm, I love that. I mean, I really resonate with post-traumatic growth. And again, I always speak just from my own experience, but I feel after I lost my mom, everything shifted. And I almost feel as if I became a superhero in the sense that like, I felt like I really, and I'm 26 now, but I really felt and still feel now I'm always carrying the feeling of 
our time on earth is so limited. You had mentioned it before, but tomorrow is not guaranteed. We don't know how much time we have on this earth. All we really can control is how we spend the limited time we're given. And that's what I carry with me on a daily basis. And that's really how I, I walk through life now. Yeah. So my podcast is all about facing adversity and building your dream life. And with that being said, what would you say your bits of gold are on how to build a life you love? You know, it's so interesting that we're having this conversation this morning because over the weekend, I found a book that my mom gave me. There's a journalist. Her name is Anna Quinlan. She's a longtime columnist. And she wrote a book called A Short Guide to a Happy Life. Hmm. And my mom gave it to me right after I graduated college and wrote this note in it for me. And I just found it yesterday. And I read the note and it said something like, Dear Beck, you know, the sentiments in this book are so simple and so true. And I hope that you learn from them. Like, I want you to have a happy life. I love you. And of course, when I found it, I was bawling because that stuff still happens even years down the line, especially when it's unexpected. But I read this book and I was like marveling at how it really is true. I guess these bits of gold that this this journalist was writing about the happiness in her life came from determination, came from always making a promise to check in with herself, like check in with her gut on the decisions that she was making, especially the big decisions. Always, always trying to be the best possible friend that you can be to the people who you care about. Trying to be great, you know, like if you if you get married, if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend, anything, trying to be present in the moment with them, be kind to them, trying to stop and like really be in the moment. We are so good at getting wrapped up in our neuroses, especially right now in the world. I mean, we're really good at it. The world is very, very scary right now. But when we're able to stop ourselves and go micro and like appreciate that in this moment in time right now, I'm safe. Or in this very moment in time, like, God, it's such a nice day. Like, the, it's, re- it's like a really warm, nice day. I'm going to take a walk around the block. Or I had this one win at work. Awesome. Like, I great. I'm still stressed about all these other things. But like, let me be in the moment with this one success. That stuff builds. And it's like this muscle that you keep flexing and it gets stronger over time. And to me, that's resilience. You know, that's gratitude. All this stuff is like, it's really powerful potion that can build up and make us able to weather not just the small stuff, but the bigger stuff as it comes to, because we all have power. Like, I don't like the term empower yourself because we all have power. This is a silly term. We just have to harness it. Mm. And sometimes we don't have, think about harnessing it or don't need to until life really throws the book at us, <laughs> but we can all do it. I love all that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was an incredible hour. So much bits of gold throughout this. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. So I'm so grateful for you this Monday morning. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. I love what you're doing. I think you're going to help so many people. And Mm -hmm. I know, I know your parents will be really proud of you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Where, where can our listeners follow you? Follow your platform. Where, where can our listeners get a hold of you? Sure. Well, we publish all the time on modernloss.com. On there, you can sign up for our newsletter. We are on Facebook. You know, we're on all the platforms at Modern Loss. In particular, I want to point out, we also have a book that I'm really proud of that was named one of the best 
books on grief for, you know, a younger generation, like young adults, 20s to 40s. It's called Modern Loss, Candid Conversation About Grief, Beginner's Welcome, wherever books are sold, but particularly indie booksellers. I love them. And we have a Patreon campaign that I would strongly encourage everybody to consider participating in. It's how we're able to keep going. Even just for $5 a month, you get so many benefits. You know, we have this amazing closed Facebook group that offers peer-to-peer support. It's like gold. It really, it really is. I would have loved to have something like this when I really needed it. And we have virtual sessions all the time. We have special content. And so I really encourage everybody to consider that as well. Amazing. Well, thanks so much, Rebecca. I hope you have an amazing week. Happy Monday. And thank you again. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Rebecca. So much Bits of Gold in that episode, navigating grief, the meaning of life, and finding meaning in in your own life. To follow along Rebecca's platform, Rebecca's story, and for more info, make sure to check out modernloss.com, modernloss.com. To stay up to date on the Bits of Gold podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And for updates, make sure to follow us along on Instagram at Bits of Gold underscore podcast. Bits of Gold underscore podcast. Recap episode coming out this Wednesday and solo episode coming out this Friday. Interview next Monday. I love your podcast. Bits of Gold is where it's at. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.